Well, good morning. Welcome to church this morning. And uh, if anybody's watching online, we want to welcome you as well, everybody at the well. Uh, thanks for worshiping together. And if you are new, this is your first time maybe. Uh, my name is Greg, one of the pastors here. And uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we just finished that series last week. And, uh, you know, somebody had come up to me after the last message I gave, and they said, man, you've had to preach on some really delicate, touchy subjects lately. And when they said that, I thought about, what, what did I speak on? And then the last three messages were, first of all, Israel and the Hamas conflict, which is a controversial topic. And I spoke on sexual immorality, which is an uncomfortable topic. And then wives submitting to husbands, which is my favorite topic, actually. I love that topic. <laughs> no, but no, it's true. All of them are kind of delicate and can and set people the wrong way. But we wanted to make sure we looked at scripture and see what does God say about these important issues. And, you know, you think about it, what can be any more sensitive than those topics right there? And probably the only one I can think of that nobody wants to talk about in church is money. That's probably the most sensitive topic. Um, well, guess what we're scheduled to talk about this morning? We're talking about money this morning. And so if this is your first time to church, welcome to South Lake Community Church. What a weekend to choose to come and visit. But really, um, we do welcome you. And uh, I want to let you know this is actually something we're excited to talk about this morning. Um, not just money, but more, more specific, generosity. And it's a good time for a couple reasons, and let me share those reasons with you. The first is, it's a good time because we are not in financial crisis. We're not in need. Like, we're, we're doing great. Why? Because you guys are so generous and giving that nobody has to coerce you or convince you to give. Um, so you could relax. This is not a message to ask you for your money, and it's not a message to guilt trip you if you haven't been able to give. That's not what this is about. Um, but secondly, it's also a good time to talk about this because this is a time of year when people, many people, are thinking about giving more than any other time of the year, right? Many of you guys are thinking about how do I spend money to get gifts for people that I care about, or maybe you're thinking about who's in need this holiday season that I could bless, or maybe you're thinking about what charities can I give to to maximize my um, my, my tax benefits, and so. You're thinking about giving, and in fact, you know, a couple Tuesdays ago, right after Thanksgiving was what they call Giving Tuesday. And if your inbox, your email inbox looked anything like mine, I got all these emails from different organizations asking if we would consider giving to their organization, because they know that we're, we're in that mode right now. And, and when I saw all these emails in my inbox, I thought, man, should South Bay Community Church be sending out a Giving Tuesday email as well? Should we be doing this? And I knew that if I did send out an email, so many of you would give. Like you would click that link and, and instinctively at any opportunity, you jump at it because you're generous. And so we didn't send out the email. Why? Because I didn't want to send out an email without a proper teaching on, on what the Bible says about giving. Because it's one thing to give and it's another thing to worship. And to worship through your giving. And you have to understand that God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. And a lot of times our heart reflects our worship. And our giving will reflect that heart of worship. So I wanted to make sure that before we ever send an email, we have a proper biblical perspective of what it means to worship through our giving. 
And so today, I'm excited to talk about this. And if there's anybody more excited than me to talk about the topic of generosity, it's Pastor Corey. He has said many, many times he loves to talk about this topic. And so together, we're going to share, and I'm going to invite Pastor Corey out right now. And what we want to do is we want to look at the Bible and look at the heart of worship and how giving and generosity generates joy within us. So would you join us as we pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning through his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the example of generosity. Lord, this whole season is about that, how you have been so gracious and open-handed toward us, that you would see us in our spiritual poverty. And so your son, who is rich in glory, one with the Father, became poor so that we, through his poverty, would become rich, spiritually and eternally rich. Spiritual blessings abound for those of us who have put our faith in you. So Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that gospel truth, and from that, you would help us to live generously in a way that displays that, Lord. So speak to us, Lord. Speak to us all. Give us humble hearts. I know this is a sensitive topic for a lot of people, especially in church, but Lord, I pray that there'd be an eagerness in us, an excitement to hear what your word has to say. I pray that we would be even more excited to, to live in response. So bless this message. Be with Pastor Corey. Be with me. Fill us with your spirit. Fill our church with your spirit so that we can hear your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Corey. Thank you, Pastor Greg. You know, when Pastor Greg asked me to team teach with him this morning, and then he told me what the topic was going to be on giving, I was really excited. As he said, this is one of my favorite topics from the scriptures upon which to teach and to preach. In fact, it's in my top 10. So I really love, I love teaching on biblical principles of financial stewardship. And you know who else? Loves to teach on this subject. Good company. Not only Pastor Greg, but also Jesus. Did you know that 16 out of the 38 parables that he taught in the Gospels are concerned with how to handle money and possessions? That's 43% of the parables deal with money and possessions. And the parables are about what? It's about the kingdom of God. So there is this association between the kingdom of God and how we handle our money and our possessions. In the Gospels, amazingly, one out of every 10 verses in the Gospels deals directly with the subject of money. One in 10. The Bible offers about 500 verses on prayer and a little less than 500 verses on the subject of faith. And there, but there are over 2,000 verses about money and possessions. It's a very important topic of Scripture. And oftentimes, preachers and churches shy away from talking about money, as Pastor Greg shared. But why would we do that when it's so replete in the Word of God? Now, why are there so many verses dedicated to the subject of money? I think it's because money and possessions have such a tremendous influence on our lives. Parents counsel their children not to get married until they have a good job, they pay off their college education indebtedness, 
Uh, they have substantial savings in the bank account. And then maybe, maybe consider getting married. And that expresses a view on money and possessions. Young adults then sometimes base their decision on when to get married, on job status, their indebtedness, their living situation, and perhaps their savings account. But maybe other things should be considered instead. Men and women sacrifice time from their families based upon their view on money and possessions. Christians oftentimes reduce their time of service to the Lord based upon their view of money and possessions. Christians give offerings to God based upon their view of money and possessions. When people don't think they have enough money or possessions, they lose their joy. Our understanding of money and the material possessions that we have in our lives greatly influence our lives and the way in which we live. And so that's why I love talking about this subject from the Bible. Because very few things will change your life more than the proper view of money management and possessions. Remember, either you are handling your money or your money is handling you. Which is it? Either you are in control of your possessions or your possessions are in control of you. And a biblical view of financial principles of stewardship will set us free from some of that and give us the joy that God so much wants to give to us. Now, there are two, here's two things that I want you to know about the generosity that generates joy. First of all, generosity generates joy because it will cause you to grow. Generosity generates joy because it will cause you to grow. And that's one of the reasons why I love preaching on this subject, because it causes people to grow. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi is the prophet of God, the last prophet of God, before God goes quiet for about 400 years, and then Jesus comes. Now, think about it. God's going to go quiet for 400 years don't you think that the last thing God says to the people of Israel are things that are very important? And at this juncture in the life of Israel, they had grown cold to God. And one of the things they stopped doing was giving generously to the Lord. So God addresses that in verse 10. He said to them, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So what is God saying through Malachi? Right? First he says, test me now in this. Test me now in this. Bring the whole tithe in and test me on this. And then he says something after thereafter. Now let's first talk about the purpose of a test. Normally, we're not supposed to test God. But there are three times in the Bible that I'm aware of where God says to test him. There are at least nine times in the Bible where God condemns those who test them. Normally the phrase is, you shall not tempt or test the Lord, which is what Jesus said to Satan when Satan was tempting him in the wilderness. See, normally we don't test the Lord, except on three separate instances, and this is one of them. Testing by God or the testing of God when permissible will almost always lead to growth. 
spiritual growth, growth in faith. Tests lead to growth. It's one of the primary purposes of a test. Now, remember all the tests you took in school? What was the purpose of it? Well, some of us, we think, it's to improve our GPA. But the reason why schools give tests is to increase your knowledge because you have to study for the test. Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. See, God asked Abraham to offer up his only son. And by faith, Abraham was willing to do it. Then at the last moment, God provided a ram to replace Isaac as the sacrifice. And what was the net result of that? That test. Adam's, uh, Abraham's faith grew. His faith and trust in God grew. And as a result, he entered into the Faith Hall of Fame found in Hebrews chapter 11. It's, where he, it's when he called God Jehovah Jireh, which means God provides. Abraham's faith was tested and it grew. The purpose of God asking us to test him in Malachi 3 is to show us that he can be trusted as one who provides. You know, um, when I was pastoring at, at the church I was at for like 42 years, a young man came to me one day and he said to me, um, Pastor Corey, I feel like the Lord wants me to give us a lump sum of money to somebody, but I don't know who. Would you find that person and give them the check? So he gave me a check, a pretty substantial amount of money. And he signed it and he left the, you know, the to whom blank and asked me to fill it in when the Lord led me to the person he was supposed to give it to. And so, um, you know, his name was on the check, so it wasn't quite anonymous, but the person I would give it to probably wouldn't know who he was. And uh, we'll, call it, we'll call his name Eddie. So this is Eddie. Eddie gave me the check. Well, this was around June. July rolls around, then August, then September, then October, then November. And then in the early part of this December, Eddie comes up to me and says, Pastor Corey, you know that check? And then I just stopped and I said, I, I remember, Eddie. All right, I just haven't found the person that the Lord wants to have the check. He said, okay, fine. You know, he wanted to clear the, uh, the books at, at year's end. But I said, well, we'll just pray that the Lord will present the person soon. Well, the following week, my wife came up to me and she said, you know, there's a teacher at school who used to be a missionary. And now she's teaching him, helping train her as a teacher. And she had to come home from the missions field because her husband passed away on the mission field, he was doing a project. He got bitten and uh, developed a case of malaria from which he died. And they had four children. So now she was back on stateside. And so I, I, I felt like, oh, this is the person who's supposed to get Eddie's check. And so I gave it to my wife and then she gave it to the teacher. And you know, Christmas time, December, is a rough time when you've lost, recently lost a loved one. And so she was having a difficult time knowing how to make ends meet. And so my wife gave her the check. And she said the moment she saw the check and read who it was from, she just started crying uncontrollably. So eventually she gathered herself, composed herself, and said to my wife this. She said, you know, my husband always told me that if anything ever happened to him, God would take care of her and the children. And she said, he said that to her all the time. If 
anything ever happens to me, the Lord will take care of you. And then she told my wife, and my husband's name was Eddie. And then so when she saw the check and who the check belonged to from Eddie, she knew at that instant, that moment in time, that God was going to take care of her and the four children. Right? Her faith grew, and she was blessed. Right? She was joyful that Christmas. And actually, she did very well from that point forward, knowing that God was going to take care of her and her children. And then when I told Eddie what happened, you can imagine how elated he was, right? That his faith grew, that the Lord told him to give the money to somebody and to use Pastor Corey to find the person. And then when I told him the story, his faith increased and his joy that Christmas. The purpose of God asking us to, to test him is very clear. He wants us to grow and be filled with gratitude. So remember, generosity generates joy because it will cause you to grow. And that's why I love teaching on this subject. When people give and give generously, give sacrificially, give regularly, their faith will grow and they will be blessed and joyful. Generosity also generates joy because you will be blessed. Generosity generates joy because you will be blessed. Continue to look at Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So Malachi, speaking on behalf of God, begins with a test or growth period which results in faith growth. And then he moves to the result of obeying God the result of passing the faith test, the result of growing in faith, and that is God will bless you. God will bless you. Now, Malachi doesn't say that if you give, you will get back materially. He doesn't say that if you give a dollar, God's going to give you back two dollars, although that is possible. Who, but who isn't joyful when they get blessed? So God blesses you, and you're just filled with joy. Sometimes the blessing is the joy of being a generous person. You're generous, and just the fact that you're generous should bring you joy. Generous people are among the happiest people in the world. Think of people in your life that are generous people. They're probably pretty happy. The root word for miserable is miser. Miserly or non-generous people are usually miserable because they never have enough and they always want. There are basically two types of people in the world. There are givers and there are takers. Carr Memminger, founder of the Memminger Clinic wrote, giving is a criterion of mental health. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. That's probably an overstatement, but we sort of get the point. There, therefore, if nothing else, if you are a generous person, you'll be happier. And that in and of itself is a tremendous blessing, isn't it? A blessing from God if we obey the scriptures and live generously. The Bible is filled with verses that teach you that you will get blessed when you give. 
One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 11, 24 to 25. Let me read it to you. There is one who scatters, yet increase all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous. And this is the part of the verse I really love. And he who waters will himself be watered. He who waters will himself be waters. The picture in an agrarian society is, if you take a bunch of seeds and you just scatter it, you'll have a bountiful harvest. If on the other hand, you just take one seed and put it in the ground, you will have a limited harvest. If you put no seed in the ground, you will not have a harvest at all. Yet he who waters will himself be watered. Now let me pause and share you the difference between what I'm teaching right now and the prosperity gospel, which is an unbiblical concept. See, the prosperity gospel says and takes these verses and say, yeah, see, you give and you will be blessed. And then you take that blessing and you spend it on yourself. You take the blood, you give, God blesses you, and you can get a nicer car, you can buy a bigger house, you can send your children to the best, best colleges in the, in the land. You give, you get blessed, and spend the blessing on yourself. That's the prosperity gospel. But it's only a half-truth which makes it an untruth. Let me show you what the difference is. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. We looked at it a few uh, weeks ago. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. This is the Abrahamic covenant, God's promise to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so, this is the key part of the verse for this morning. So you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, God blessed Abraham so he could be a blessing to others. Here's a phrase I try to teach the church that I pastor for all, these, all those years. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's what the Abrahamic covenant is all about. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you and your descendants so that you can be a blessing to others. And that's the difference. God blesses us. We receive the blessing. And then we're able to bestow greater blessing upon those around us. And one of the things I really love about South Bay Community Church is as God blesses the church, as you bless the church through your giving, South Bay blesses other people. You know the Baycrest project, the Baycrest uh, Bay care packages? You know, we get blessed so we can do things like that. Remember when we took an offering for uh, the church in the Ukraine for a heater? We were blessed. We're blessed with a lot of, most of us probably have heat in our houses and the places in where we live. So we get, we're so blessed. And so then when the call came, the church family used the blessings they had to bless the church in Ukraine with a heating system. We are blessed to be a blessing. Again, when I was pastoring uh, the church I was at, uh, we went into, we had a building campaign. And so we had a time when you would give a first fruit offering, which was a lump sum offering, and then a monthly commitment. And you sign a pledge card and you place it into a, a, a basket that we had in the front of the church on the Sunday, on Commitment Sunday. 
And I remember when the kids were small, this is our first building campaign we ever had. Our children were pretty small. And uh, we were thinking, well, you know, we don't really have a lump sum of, of, in our bank account that isn't dedicated to something that we really shouldn't touch, like our children's college education. But there was one fund that we could possibly take from, and that was the piano fund. Now, my girls had just started taking piano, and my mother, bless her heart, bought us a piano for $100. It was an old English piano. I think it came over on the Mayflower, because <laughs> the board was warped. And so we kept tuning it over and over. And they were taking the Suzuki method where you learn by ear. And they, they, every time we get it tuned, within a week, it was out of tune, like a half measure off. I thought, this is really not a good idea to learn <clears throat> music by ear and have a piano that's not tuned properly. But we thought, now this is sort of a luxury, and we really should commit to the Lord. So we took the piano fund, which is like $2,000 at the time, just over $2,000. And on Commitment Sunday, we gave a lump sum of the piano fund. And um, this is back in the 80s, so $2,000 went a lot farther than it does today. So I started feeling bad as a dad. Man, my kids are going to be playing piano now on a, on a piano that's not tuned correctly. And so I began thinking, maybe we should buy one on time and pay interest on it. I thought, you know, the principle was try not to buy things that you don't really need on time any luxuries. So I thought I was getting really close to breaking that rule. And um, the, very, the very Sunday that we had the, our offering, a couple who just recently come to our church came up to me and said, we'd like to have you over for lunch one day. Can you come join us? So I said, sure. So that week I went over to their house for lunch and we talked. And I learned about them and they learned about me and they learned a little bit more about the church. And then they said toward the end of lunch, you know, we have a loved one who, who's no longer with us, and we try to do things periodically in this loved one's name. And we feel like what we're supposed to do is buy your children a piano. Now, me being a Japanese-American young man, I said, oh, no, you can't. Thank you, but that's just way too generous. And I tried to turn them down, but they said, you know, go talk to your wife and pray about it and get back to us because we really want to do this. So I went back and told my wife, I said, you know what they said today at lunch? They want to buy our kids a piano. And you know what my wife said? Praise the Lord. <laughs> I said, well, I suppose that's another way of looking at it. <laughs> and so we said yes to the offer. And they ended up getting us like a baby upright grand, which was like three times the value of what we were going to spend. You cannot outgive God. So we learned, and the children and my family learned a great lesson. You know, we give, and we give sacrificially. You give generously, and God will bless you. And in this instance, he blessed us with a piano. Now, how did that blessing turn into us being able to bless others? Because that's the principle, right? Blessed to be a blessing. Well, that's the piano that our daughters learn music on. And two of them, Beth Sunday and Bethany, from that juncture forward, you know, they learned music and they began singing and, and they, in fact, Bethany has sung twice here and she sang once with her sister Sunday. It was on Communion Sunday, they sang a song. And so from the time they were like college on, they began singing as a ministry, oftentimes together. 
weddings, funerals, church services, all different kinds of occasions. And so that piano gift, which was a blessing to us, turned into, uh, turned into a blessing of the faith community to the music of our, our two girls. We're blessed to be a blessing, and God allows that to happen. You know, God is so good. He teaches us thoroughly through the scriptures what it means and how we are to handle money and possessions. For the privilege of being able to give, to grow in faith, and to be blessed, and to be filled with the kind of joy that only comes from above. Amen? Amen. And now Pastor Greg is going to complete this message this morning. Thanks, Pastor Corey. Would you help me thank Pastor Corey for the word? So I hope you're taking notes, those first two points, just like he restated, generosity generates joy when you can grow, when you give, you grow, and also when you give, you will be blessed. Let me give you one more point uh, for this message, and uh, the point number three is generosity generates joy when you can keep on giving. Generosity generates joy because you can keep on giving, keep on blessing. Um, if you've been here the past few months, we've been talking about mandarin oranges a lot here at the church. Um, they just keep coming up um, in our messages. I mean, are we the only ones, or does anybody here like mandarin oranges? Anybody here enjoy mandarin oranges? Yeah? Okay, good. A lot of us. We're not the only ones. You, would you like a mandarin orange? Yeah? No? Who else? Who else? You like mandarin orange? Would you like a mandarin orange? Yeah? Well, here's the problem. I have a problem. If I give it to you, or if I give it to you, then there's none for me, right? That's the problem. And so I have a choice, I have a decision I need to make because it's a scarce resource, it's a limited resource, and there's only one of these, and I really want to give it to you because you look like you, you really want this, and you look like you really want this, but again, if I give it to you, then there's none for me. So I think I'll, I'll, I'll just eat it. I think I'll just keep it to myself. No, you have to see my heart, though. I really want to give to you, but it just, it's just too good. It's too sweet. Mm. So good. You should try it. A lot of us treat money the way I treated this mandarin orange, as if it were a scarce resource. And the more I give away, the less I have for me. So as much as I want to, I won't. I'll hold it tight. And some of you guys are thinking, well, isn't that kind of true? It is a limited resource. It's not like money grows on trees, Pastor Greg. Money doesn't grow on trees. Well, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in one more passage today, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul's speaking to the Corinthians as he's encouraging them to give to the church in need. And so here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7. He says, remember this. Remember this principle, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what he's saying, he says, don't give because anyone's telling you to give, but give cheerfully, and when you do, remember this principle, if you sow generously, you will receive generously. If you treat resources like it's scarce, like there's only a limited amount, you will be scarce in your resources. You will reap sparingly. 
it will be scarce for you. And the opposite is true. You sow generously, you will see the abundance that God can provide. You know, on staff, we have a staff value that we've been trying to remind ourselves and emphasize. Let's operate not in a scarcity mindset, but with an abundance mindset. A mindset of generosity, trusting this principle right here that Paul tells the Corinthians, if you sow generously, the Lord will provide generously. Like Pastor Corey said, this is not an unbiblical prosperity gospel teaching. This is a biblical principle. And that spiritual principle laid out, it is strategically practical. Strategically, God is a God of wisdom. Let me show you. My wife and I, we, we have a family friend who's a financial manager. And at the beginning of this year, almost a year ago, uh, we decided, let's try him out and let's see if he can manage our money. So we gave him a pretty large amount of money. And, and he told us this. He said, listen, just give me the money. Let's put it in some mutual funds and then forget about it. Don't even think about it. Don't touch it. Leave it alone and watch the interest grow. It'll grow for you. Just don't think about it. So we did. So we cut him a big check, gave him a lot of money, and, and we've forgotten about it. And then this past week, it's been about a year, he invited us over to their new house in Malibu which is a beautiful house. They just built this brand new house from scratch. Like it's magazine worthy and it's overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And when we pulled up, there's multiple cars in the parking lot, including this brand new Lamborghini that you just bought. And I look at all this and I go, man, you must be crushing it. You must have had a really good year. And he says, I'll tell you my secret. And I cannot believe what he told me. He must have forgot that we are one of his clients. We invested with him because he says this, he says, I just ask my clients to give me a money to put in a, away in a fund, and I tell them to forget about it. And they do. They forget about it. And then I just spend it on myself. That's what he said. He said, instead of investing it, I just spend it, and they don't even think about it because they've left it alone. And I could not believe it. C can you believe that he would take his client's money and spend it on himself? Can you believe that? Don't believe it because it's not a true story. I made it up. It's a, it's, a, it's a modern day parable. It's not a true story at all. It's an extreme example of a manager who takes someone's money and treats it like it's his own. And yet God has blessed us with resources and so often we take what he's given us and we treat it like it belongs to us. Like it's ours. And yet the Bible calls us managers stewards. We're supposed to be good stewards. And if we're managers and stewards, then the implications are they don't belong to us. They've been loaned to us, entrusted to us by the one it belongs to. That means everything we have is not ours, but it is his. That means our talents are his. Our time is his. Our treasure are his. Our kids are his. Our money is his. And some of us at that thought hate that thought. Like right now, you're, you're thinking, what are you talking about? It's, this is mine. I earned this. I worked hard for this. I grinded. I, I worked hard. I built my business. I am self-made. And if that's, if that's you, that's not everybody, but if that's you, I want to challenge you. Are you really self-made? Let me ask you, who made you? Who gave you your brain and your education? Who gave you your abilities and personality? Who gave you your drive? Who gave you your opportunities? Who gave you your job? Did any of that come from you? 
All of it came from the Lord. And if you are a follower of Christ and your faith is in the Lord, do you trust that he is Lord over all? Lord over all, not Lord over some, and then I'll be the Lord over the rest. No, Lord over all. Do you truly believe that? Because he is truly the giver of all things, and it belongs to him. None of what we have has come from us. And so we are to just be stewards and managers of the resources he has entrusted to us here on earth. Jesus has his own parable, much better than mine. In uh, Matthew chapter 25, he talks about the parable of the good stewards. He makes up the story, but it has a true spiritual truth where there's this master and he has three servants and he gives each of the servants money, calls them talents. And, and he goes away on a journey, but when he comes back, what does he find? He finds that two out of the three servants actually took what the master gave them and put it to good work. They invested it and so it brought a return, doubled by the time the master got back. And Jesus' point is the master's coming back. And so what did he say to the ones who were actually able to double the master's money? He says in Matthew 25, 23, the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. I mean, I'm going to give you more. And then he lays out the principle for us in verse 29. Here's the spiritual principle for to everyone who has implying you have invested and put to good use the master's stuff, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, the one who hasn't put it to work, who hasn't invested, who hasn't received the return, even what he has will be taken away. And so here's, here's the spiritual principle, which is strategically practical. If the master sees that you have faithfully used what he's entrusted to you with the master's interest in mind, interested in the master's business, he will trust you with even more. And that's not just money. This is anything on earth he's given you for the sake of the master's business, his kingdom, and his gospel. Doesn't that just make practical sense? God is such a wise God. That just makes sense. Let's say, for example, my wife, Monica, and I, we, we, we really do have a financial manager. And we're just getting to know him, and we don't trust him right away. So let's give him $100 and see what he does with it. And after a year, he's actually able to come, and he shows that he's made money for us. He's doubled it. He's, he's brought back interest, and now we have double what we gave him. And we like what we see. So the next year, we give him another $100, see what he can do with that. And he puts it to work. He invests it. He doesn't spend it on himself. But he actually invested and he brings us back another $100 that he's made for us. We're going to see, man, this guy has our interest in mind. He's using it wisely, investing it wisely. We're starting to trust him. Let's give him more. Would you not say, this guy knows what he's doing? And we might give him maybe 500 the next year. Maybe 1,000 if we're able to because we see that he's investing well. We trust him. And in the same way, when God sees that we are using his resources for his business, he's going to say, let me give you some more. 2 Corinthians 9, let's go back to that. Right? Because he just told the Corinthians, if you sow generously, you will receive generously. Well, he goes on in verse 8, assuming you've done so, God is able to bless you abundantly 
so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Superlative language. You're going to have an abundance. You're going to abound to keep doing good works. In other words, when you give generously toward God's causes, God will give you abundantly more to keep putting more into God's causes, to continue to do more good works. And so the prosperity gospel, as Pastor Corey said, teaches you to give a lot so you can get a lot for yourself. That's a false doctrine. That's an unbiblical doctrine. If your end goal is yourself, so that you give a lot, so that you hope God will give you a lot, so I can finally get the dream car I've always dreamt about, or I can finally get that 85-inch screen TV for my living room wall, or I can finally remodel my house like all my friends are doing. That's not generosity. That's greed draped in generosity. It has the appearance of it, but you're just inward-looking. And yet true generosity, biblical generosity, looks outward. And when the master sees that you have been faithful with what he's entrusted to you because you care about Jesus' interests and others' interests before yourself, he will give you more so that you will become greater conduits of his grace and his goodness to others. And that's where true happiness, joy comes from. You might think this is cheesy, but look, Jesus first, others second, you last. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. That might sound cheesy, but it's true. I really believe it's true. When we are outward looking, we will find the joy in our generosity. God sees a generous heart, not a greedy one, one that operates not in scarcity, but in abundance, because you trust the giver's open hand. So he goes on in this principle. We go back to 2 Corinthians 9. Not only will you get much when you give much, he says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity result in what? In thanksgiving to God. That's the goal. That's the goal of our giving. That's the goal of our generosity. So here's the principle. You give much, you will get much so that you can give much more. Give a lot, you'll get a lot so you can give a lot more. To what end? To his glory. To his praise. So the thanks would be given to his name. And so this is important. I want to encourage you because you are so giving and so generous, church, don't just give and throw resources to any good cause that is good. There's a lot of them out there. But consider, I want to challenge you, church, consider how can my generosity result in people giving thanks to God? Because there's a lot of good ways you could give. Maybe you could give millions of dollars to saving the trees or thousands of dollars to the American Red Cross or maybe hundreds of dollars to your kids' school fundraiser or their basketball team or, or to the Boy Scouts of America, which are all good. And if you can do that because you have an abundance, do it as you feel led. But can I challenge you to ask the question and prioritize this? How can my giving and my generosity be gospel-centered? Christ exalting. Because a heart of worship, biblical generosity considers how can my giving 
bring God his praise? How can my generosity put the gospel on display? How can I help with what I have show people the overwhelming, unending, infinite grace of God? So one chapter earlier, 2 Corinthians 8 says that Christ, though he was rich, became poor. That's what this is about. This is what Christmas is about. He became poor, lowly, and humble so that through his poverty, we might become rich. Spiritually and eternally rich. That's the generosity of God. So how can I help people see your goodness and your grace through your gospel? Reality is a lot of times people are in need. They have needs for food and clothing or shelter. And who is the first person that they call into question? God, where are you? Do you see my suffering? Do you see me in need? Do you care about me? Like, where are you? And a lot of people will turn to God, shake their fists if they continue perpetually in need. And when they don't receive the help, they will often turn from God and maybe curse God or deny his existence. And so, church, how can we be outward looking? What if your generosity is a tangible expression of God's goodness to them? What if they've been crying out to God, God, do you care? And your decision to share with them is proof that God cares for them. What if your timeliness and your generosity shows up in their life, is interpreted by them as God just showed up in my life. Praise be to God. And that's what Paul's saying. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11, he said, your generosity will generate praise and thanksgiving to God. How can we be about that? So don't just give generously. But give generously to the glory of God. Always consider how your giving can produce thanksgiving to the giver, the ultimate giver. If God has blessed you, he didn't give generously to you so that you would have plenty, period. He gave to you so that you would have plenty to share. That's why he wants to enrich you in every way. As Pastor Corey said, you have been blessed so that you can be a blessing. Like if I've been blessed with this Mandarin orange or what used to be this Mandarin orange, and he's given to me, I can operate with the scarcity mindset and say, man, I, I, I have one, and if I give it to you, then I have none for me. And so I have a decision to make, and, and the decision I made was to keep it to myself because I, I want it. It's scarce, right? It's scarce because this stuff doesn't grow on trees, right? This, mandarins don't grow on trees, or do they? M maybe they actually do. And maybe, <laughs> maybe we have a creator who is able to produce abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. And maybe if we would just test the Lord our God and his generosity and what his words have, maybe if he says to sow generously and to have others in mind and the glory of Christ in mind, and I want to be able to share, do you trust our creator, the giver of all good things, that maybe he's able to keep his word and you will receive generously? And maybe God wants to provide for you <laughs> through me. 
And maybe, maybe, here you go. You ready? <laughs> maybe God wants to provide for you and for me too. Will you test the Lord and see if you really do so generously, if he is able to provide generously for the glory of God and for the grace of his gospel? Praise be to his name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's respond to the Lord. And let's give him thanks with all that we have for, for what he has already given. So, God, we, we just stop and we pause and we realize, God, you are overwhelming in how much you care for us and want to show us your unending riches spiritual blessing and you did that when you gave us Christ your son that's what this whole season is about we can get so caught up and so busy in things but Lord help us to just stop in this moment and understand that Christ though he was rich became poor born a lowly and humble birth died a horrific and humiliating death so that we would be rich eternally and spiritually rich as sons and daughters of the most high king of kings that we would have permanent residence in your kingdom God that changes everything so help us to get that in our heart of hearts help us not just to give but to have a heart of worship and in everything we do may reflect that we really really see your worth we get it and so, Lord, we respond now. We want to sing to you with all our hearts. Take everything. Take our life and let it be set apart, holy, consecrated to you, Lord. Take everything we have and use it for your glory. Thank you for letting us be stewards and managers of your good grace. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.